Our scripture reading this morning is taken from two passages of Holy Scripture. We read first from Genesis chapter 12. We'll read the first nine verses. We have in this narrative the account of the Lord's call to Abram to get out of his country and go into a land which God would show him. And secondly, we'll read from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. We have in that chapter, of course, the list of examples of faith. Our text is found in verses 9 and 10, where we have the picture of the faith of Abraham as he was called to sojourn in the land of promise. We hear the word of God first in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Mori. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And we turn to Hebrews 11. We read the first 19 verses. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. And here we have the words of our text. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, 
because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called counting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So far, we read from God's infallibly inspired word. As I said, our text this morning is found here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10, where we read concerning Abraham, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, Abraham stands out as a rather prominent figure in this list of the so-called heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham could be considered from several points of view. He was called the friend of God. God established his covenant with Abraham and his seed. Here in Hebrews chapter 11, the emphasis falls upon the faith of Abraham. Here we see that Abraham's faith was the subjective ground of things hoped for. Here it's plain that Abraham's faith was the evidence of things not seen. Verse 8 of this chapter tells us that this faith of Abraham was manifest in obedience to the call of God. That call of God came first to Abraham at Ur of the Chaldees and then later at Haran. And that call to Abraham came very definitely as a calling from God. Abraham didn't leave his home because of any personal convictions or some inner feelings that he might have had. This call of God was the direct word of God to him. Abraham received a direct revelation from God in whatever form that may have been. And the contents of that call are revealed to us in Genesis chapter 12, the passage that we read that call consisted of a twofold command negatively get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house positively get thee unto a land that I will show thee that call to Abraham included a promise We read of that in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. Make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Indeed, included in 
that promise was God's word to Abraham upon his arrival in the land of Canaan. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And so it was, as the Apostle Paul explains to the Galatians, in Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9, that God preached the gospel unto Abraham. We read there in Galatians 3, beginning of verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham obeyed this call. We read, he went out. He did not question God's call to him. He didn't attempt to avoid that call. He did not contrive excuses not to go and obey God's call to him. Abraham simply went. He took Sarai and Lot and all the souls they had gotten in Haran and all their substance, and he went out. He went out, we read, not knowing whither he went. Think of that, children. Abraham did not have a clue where he was going. God had not told Abraham the name of the country which would one day be his inheritance. God had not provided Abraham with a detailed map. God had actually told him very little about his destination. But by faith, Abraham simply followed step by step the direction of the Lord. But Abraham's faith and obedience must not be understood as just a single act that was fulfilled when he reached Canaan. Upon arriving in the land of Canaan, Abraham was called to continue in that way of faith, to persevere in his faith. Scripture tells us that when Abraham arrived in the land of promise, he was called to sojourn there. Our text tells us by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Beloved Abraham's faith manifested in his life of sojourning is meant to strengthen our faith. Abraham's faith manifested in his life of sojourning is meant to encourage us in our pilgrimage here below. It's in this light, therefore, that we consider our text this morning under the theme, Abraham's Sojourn by Faith. And we notice, first of all, the meaning, secondly, the motivation, and finally, the significance. So what did Abraham find when he came to the land which God showed him? He did not find a country all prepared for himself and his family. He did not find a land which he could immediately take as his own possession. He did not find a country filled with people with whom he could have a genuinely spiritual relationship. Oh no, quite the contrary. Abraham found a land of which he could not take definite possession. He found a country which was inhabited by the heathen Canaanites. We read of that in Genesis 12 verse 6. And the Canaanite was then in the land. As he found a land filled with those with whom he could have no spiritual kinship. Abraham had only the promise of God. God had promised to make of him a great nation. But as yet he had no child. As yet his wife was barren. 
The Lord had promised to make Abraham's name great. But here he was, a stranger in a land inhabited by heathen tribes. He had no fame or honor among the Canaanites. Jehovah had promised to give the land unto Abraham and his seed. But Abraham did not own any of the land. As the martyr Stephen proclaims in Acts chapter 7 verse 5, And he, that is God, gave him none inheritance in it, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. So what was Abraham now to do? Was Abraham to return to the land from which he had come? Verse 15 in Hebrews chapter 11 suggests that that might have been possible. We read, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But Abraham did not and could not go back. Well, was Abraham then to take possession of the land by force? After all, God had promised that the land was to be his. But Abraham was not to raise up his own arm of flesh against the inhabitants of the land. Was Abraham to become a citizen of that land, a permanent inhabitant? Perhaps he could have moved in with some of the wicked descendants of Ham. Or maybe Abraham could have built his own fine city there in the land of Canaan. But Abraham, believing God's promise, could not do this. Abraham was simply called to exercise his God-given faith. He simply had to believe the promise of God. He had to wait for God himself to fulfill and realize his promise. He knew by faith that at the proper time, God would give him the land. Abraham was therefore required to sojourn in the land of promise. And literally, this word sojourn means to dwell beside, to live in one's neighborhood. It means to dwell in a place as a stranger, to dwell as a visitor in a place which is not one's home. And this Abraham did by faith. He dwelled as a stranger in the land of promise. He did not mix and mingle with The Canaanites, he did not conform to their idolatrous ways. He remained separate from the wicked inhabitants of the land. He was an outsider, a foreigner in a land which would one day be his. The text emphasizes that he sojourned there as in a strange country. Literally, we read, as in a land belonging to another. Abraham lived in the land conscious of the fact that not one square foot of that land belonged to him. Abraham never made himself at home there. And our text emphasizes that Abraham's sojourn was shown, manifest by his dwelling in tabernacles. And the word tabernacles refers here simply to tents. As we know, a tent is always generally just a temporary dwelling place. A tent can easily be taken down, carried away. A tent is always a rather weak and frail abode. It offers little or no defense against attack. 
A tent has no real permanence and stability. It is without a strong foundation. A tent is always a movable abode. A tent may be pitched one day in one place and tomorrow somewhere else. A tent is the proper dwelling place for a nomad, a wanderer in a land not his own. And so a tent is the symbol of what is temporary. And Abraham's tent life pointed to the fact that he sojourned in the land by his dwelling in tents. Abraham manifested himself as a sojourner there, a stranger in the land of promise. That Abraham sojourned dwelling in tabernacles meant that Abraham stood in stark contrast to the inhabitants of the land. He was a stranger there, a foreigner, and that was obvious to everyone. Abraham took no part in the political or social affairs there. He had very little social interaction with the Canaanites. Abraham built different altars, and he worshipped a different god. Abraham wore different clothing, and he spoke a different language, and he sang different songs. Abraham had different attitudes and goals. As a tent dweller, Abraham was a person upon whom everyone looked as a stranger. Abraham did not buy a large tract of land there. He did not build a fine house or a palace. Abraham did not live in one of the cities. He did not become a citizen of the land. In all of his life, Abraham conducted himself as a foreigner, a sojourner in a land not his own. The scriptural account of Abraham's life testifies to the truth of all this. Think, for example, of Abraham's attitude at the time of the separation of his nephew Lot from him. Recall that the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot were contending regarding the pasture for their flocks and herds. And at that time it was abundantly clear that Abraham was willing to remain a pilgrim and a stranger in the land. Abraham had the right to the land He had the promise of God, after all, but his attitude was one of self-denial. The whole incident left Abraham a lonely sojourner in the land. Later, it was significant that at the time when Abraham fought and gained the victory with his servants over Kedolaomer and the allies, the kings from the east, He was known by the Canaanites as the Hebrew. The Hebrew, that name means from the other side, referring either to the other side of the Jordan River or perhaps the Euphrates River. But that name given to Abraham by the inhabitants of the land pointed to the fact that he was known as a stranger. In Genesis 18, the opening verse, we read that when the Lord appeared unto Abraham at Mamre, we read that Abraham sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. There too, Abraham appeared as a stranger, a sojourner. The very fact that he sat in the door of his tent constituted a confession that he was a stranger in a strange land. Notice also Abraham's words to the sons of Heth at the time of his purchase of a burial place for his wife Sarah. Abraham said, we read that in Genesis 23, verse 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. That entire incident points to the fact that even in death, Abraham 
was a stranger in the land. And finally, that Abraham was a sojourner in the land is evident from the very fact that Abraham sent his servant to Abraham's own kindred back in Haran to obtain a wife for his son, Isaac. Further, our text points out that Isaac and Jacob also sojourned dwelling in tents. We read, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. The text emphasizes that Isaac and Jacob possessed the same promise of God. That was clear from the fact that God, in speaking of the promise to Abraham, includes Abraham's seed, his children, descendants. After Abraham had arrived in Canaan, the Lord appeared unto him and said, we read that verse in Genesis 12, verse 4, unto thy seed will I give this land. After Lot had chosen to go toward Sodom, the Lord spoke unto Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and, notice, to thy seed forever. At the time of the establishment of his covenant with Abraham, as we read of it in Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abraham, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee all the land, wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That Isaac and Jacob possessed that same promise of God is also clear from the fact that that promise was repeated to them. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, we read that when Isaac was in Gerar because of the famine, the Lord appeared unto him and said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and to thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. When Jacob was at Bethel, where he slept with his head upon a stone, in his dream he heard the Lord say, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Because Isaac and Jacob possessed that same promise, we read that they were heirs with him, literally co-heirs of the same promise. Therefore, they too believed in the promise of God. They too sojourned in the land of promise. They dwelled in tents as pilgrims and strangers in the land. Jacob confessed that fact when before Pharaoh in Egypt, he said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. All this emphasizes the fact that these patriarchs had to live their whole lives by faith as sojourners in the land of promise. Abraham didn't have to sojourn in the land for, say, a couple of years. He was already an aged man, a hundred years old, before he received the promised son. And the only parcel of land Abraham ever possessed was the cave of Machpelah, which he bought for a cemetery. Abraham sojourned his whole life without receiving that land of Canaan. And mind you, the same is true of Isaac and Jacob. They lived that same sojourner's life dwelling in tents. Never did they receive the land of Canaan as their inheritance. So it is, as our text tells us, we see that by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, 
dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Understand, beloved, Abraham's sojourn was possible only by faith. Faith, which is the gift of God. Without faith, Abraham would not and could not sojourn in the land of promise. By nature, he might have been inclined to return to Ur. By nature, Abraham might have attempted to conquer the land and set himself up as Lord in Canaan. By nature, Abraham might have built a fine city there and amalgamated himself with the Canaanites. Humanly speaking, the life of sojourning was impossible. But Abraham did all of this by faith. He was given to believe the promises of God. And believing, he was content to sojourn in that land. But we might be inclined to ask then, did not Abraham then die sorely disappointed without any hope of the realization of the promise? God had told him that he would receive the land, but he never did. All his life he merely sojourned in the land of promise. He was a stranger there. Abraham saw hardly a glimmering of fulfillment. Was not his faith in vain? Oh no. For Abraham's faith looked for the heavenly. Our text tells us, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew that God's promise did not refer ultimately to that earthly land of Canaan. By faith, Abraham knew that when God said, I will give you this land and to thy seed forever, God was not merely talking about the earthly land. By faith, Abraham knew that that promise did not simply refer to the land in the midst of which he sojourned. Abraham knew that that earthly land of Canaan was a picture, a type of the heavenly land of Canaan. Abraham realized that the promise of God went far beyond that earthly land. In that earthly Canaan, Abraham saw only a shadow of that much more glorious heavenly inheritance. And because of that, he could sojourn in the land of his inheritance. Because of that, he could persevere in his faith. And Abraham's faith was truly the substance of of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He looked for that heavenly city. Literally, the idea is that he awaited it and expected it. Abraham knew that the object of his expectation would truly be his. He couldn't see that heavenly city. It was unseen only insofar as that earthly land of Canaan pointed to it could he visualize the heavenly. Abraham could not see heaven from this side of the grave. Yet, Abraham hoped for it, and here the idea of expectation is on the foreground. He looked for that city. He expected it. He looked toward the future, anticipating it. And Abraham was also confident that that expectation would be realized. His looking for this city was 
not characterized by any doubt. Rather, he was certain that that city would be his. And Abraham longed for that city. Abraham did not have a mere wish in the back of his mind somewhere, but throughout his life of sojourning, he ardently desired that city. He had an intense longing for it. So notice the contrasts we have before us here. On the one hand, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, dwelling in tents. That was a life characterized by loneliness. Abraham pitched his tents only temporarily ready to leave and move on to another location in the land. Always he was a stranger, a foreigner in the land. Never did he possess the land or have a permanent abode there. On the other hand, Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations. There he was not a stranger, but a citizen. There he could make himself at home. That city was something permanent, an abiding dwelling place. While his tent had no foundations whatsoever, this city had firm and enduring foundations. So what was this city? There are those who try to maintain that this city which Abraham expected was nothing more than the earthly Jerusalem. Now they try to argue that Abraham couldn't really know anything about the heavenly. They say that Abraham was merely looking forward to the time when he'd no longer have to dwell in tents, but he could live in the earthly city of Jerusalem. Be not deceived. That certainly cannot be the case. Then, of course, Abraham's faith really was in vain, for he he never personally lived in Jerusalem. But in addition, the whole epistle to the Hebrews exactly repudiates the idea of an earthly Jerusalem and an earthly temple pointing us to the better things which are spiritual and heavenly. And further, Abraham and all of God's people in the Old Testament times surely died in the hope of everlasting life and salvation in heaven. And finally, according to the last part of our text, God is the builder and maker of this city. And that was certainly not literally the case with the earthly Jerusalem. Rather, this city for which Abraham looked was a city with foundations. And that implies that this city was not something temporary or frail, but it is the incorruptible and undefilable inheritance of which The Apostle Peter speaks in 1 Peter 1, verses 4 and 5. And that implies that this city is permanent. It knows no fluctuations. It feels no changes. It implies that this city never fears an assault. It can never crumble and fall as do men's cities. This was a city whose builder and maker was God. Literally, we read, whose artificer and builder is God. God was its artificer. That is, he designed it. He was its sovereign architect. And God was also its builder, the artisan, the craftsman, the one who actually framed the city. And this is, of course, the deepest reason for its abiding character. This city is, therefore, the new Jerusalem. It is the heavenly city. That's the city whose builder and maker is God. 
And the city of the New Jerusalem is, of course, the church. The church is called the New or Heavenly Jerusalem in Scripture. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 26, we read, Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, Scripture tells us, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, notice, and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. This is also plain from that beautiful description of the new Jerusalem given to us in Revelation chapter 21. In the marvelous vision that was given to the Apostle John. There you recall John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, portrayed as a bride. And the point is that the city is not a number of houses and buildings, but it is the living citizens, the people who constitute the city. The church depicted as a city emphasizes the idea of communion and fellowship, something quite different from Abraham's lonely life of sojourning. This picture of the city in Revelation 21 presented in symbolic language still only gives us a glimmer of the true glory and splendor of it. And that this city has foundations means, therefore, that it is a city founded in God's eternal decree. God's decree is the foundation of this city. Sovereign election makes this a firm and abiding city. God, as its architect, designs it in his eternal decree. God, as the builder, builds that city through Jesus Christ. Christ, after all, is at the heart of the promise of God. He is the chief cornerstone in that city. And the work of regeneration in our hearts by his spirit makes us citizens of that city, makes us living stones from which that city is built. This, beloved, was the motivation for Abraham's sojourn by faith. Abraham looked for that everlasting glory of the church in the new heavens and the new earth. And with that faith, Abraham was content, perfectly content to sojourn all his life in the land of promise. So what then is the significance of Abraham's sojourn by faith? Beloved, this is the calling of all God's people. Maybe we're inclined to ask why. Why did God require Abraham to sojourn his entire life? Why didn't God immediately give him the land? Why did not God immediately fulfill his promise to Abraham? And why does God require us to sojourn here below? Could he not immediately give us our inheritance? Could he not immediately bring us to our heavenly home? And the answer is that God wanted Abraham and God wants us to live by faith. God has determined every step of the way to our inheritance. Of course, from the Old Testament perspective, Christ still had to come, the mediator, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And now, from our perspective, we wait for his return upon the clouds of heaven. 
God will not bring about the final fulfillment of his promise until all the elect are saved. So what does it mean that we are called to sojourn? That we are called to sojourn here below does not mean that we must become what we might call isolationists. We are not to separate ourselves physically from the inhabitants of this earth, perhaps on some faraway island or some distant corner of the far north. Abraham didn't do that. That we are called to sojourn here below does not mean that we may not use the things of this world. We are not to separate ourselves from the things of the world as such. Say, for example, modern conveniences, as do the Amish. Abraham didn't do that. But for us to sojourn means that we dwell beside, that we dwell in the earth as strangers. We live as foreigners in this earth. From a spiritual perspective, we live here not as citizens spiritually of this world, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We live in the midst of this world, just as Abraham lived in the midst of the land of Canaan, but we are not, by the grace of God, of the world. It means that we would live antithetically here below. Again, not that we turn our backs on the things of this world. Things in themselves are good creatures of God, and we will strive to use all things in the service of God and to his glory and strive to walk in holiness, seeking that which is good and fleeing from that which is evil. More specifically, that we sojourn here below as strangers in the land means that we are different. Just as Abraham was different, we are not conformed to this world, but transformed from it so that we speak a different language, spiritually speaking. And we sing different songs, the songs of Zion. We worship a different God, the God of Scripture, not the idols of pleasure, of sex, of sports, of fame, of wealth. We have different attitudes and goals than does the world of unbelief around us. And that must be seen by everyone. Can your neighbors, your co-workers see the difference? In our times, again this past summer, camping, extremely popular. The parks and campgrounds generally filled with tents and trailers. But are we spiritual tent dwellers? The world must see that we are spiritual tent dwellers. The world must see that we are not citizens here, that this is not really our home. Is that true of us? Does the world call us Abraham the Hebrew, the man from the other side? Do people take note of us, as was the case with the apostles Peter and John, and perceive that we have been with Jesus? Do we live in tents spiritually or in houses with foundations? Beloved, only... By faith can we sojourn here below as spiritual pilgrims and strangers. By nature, we would never sojourn. We're inclined by nature to conform with the world. And we'd speak their language, 
just as gross and crude as they talk. We'd sing their songs. We'd join in their entertainments. We'd worship their gods and have their goals, pleasure, what Jesus calls mammon. By nature, we'd be citizens here below. We'd build our houses and cities seeking to make a name and a place for ourselves here that would abide. We'd mix and mingle with the world of unbelief. But it is by faith that we too take hold of the promise of God. That faith which is essentially Christ becomes the important thing. Yea, with the Apostle Paul, we count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. We'll focus upon that, the Lord willing, this evening. By God's grace, through faith, we receive all the benefits of salvation. And we are made sojourners here below, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, so that by his grace, we too look for that city that has foundations. And we expect that city. We know that it is ours as God's children. Even though now the Lord Jesus prepares our place, we're certain we shall receive it. We live in a measure at least in anticipation of that day. Let us then strive to walk as pilgrims in the earth. In true faith, may we strive to be manifest as strangers. In true faith, let us look for that city that has foundations. May our confession be that of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. In that faith, we will truly receive our glorious inheritance. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Apply it by Thy Spirit unto our hearts and lives, young and old alike. Be merciful unto us, for we are yet so worldly-minded so attached to the things of the here and now. Strengthen our faith even this day that we may more and more seek the things that are above where Christ is. May thy name receive the glory for Jesus' sake. Amen.